so much going on to keep track of around the church. I appreciate those announcements because sometimes even I'm surprised. Wow, that's cool. I should have thought of that. Cool things going on. Uh, this week, um, our population is a little bit light again. Last week, we had like people crammed in the back and outside on the walkways and stuff like that. So it varies a little bit. I don't know if it's varying with like the Omicron infection counts or what's going on, but but obviously, um, when uh, something like the full church starts coming back to gather, you know, physically, uh, we're going to outstrip uh, this lovely uh, facility. Um, that has been such a blessing to us, uh, which means, not surprisingly, that we'll probably have to shift to doing multiple services on Sunday, right? Um, so I, I'm just putting that out there in the atmosphere uh, so that, um, you know, we start getting mentally prepared because you're going to want to figure out which service is the cool service and, and you're, you're going to want to go to that one, right? I mean, that's... that's the, Carl's made up his mind, whichever one is late. Just, just kind of, whatever, whatever lets me sleep in. Um, but I just want to put that out there, just, you know, to be shepherdly and stuff, because they tell me that's good. And, um, and also, uh, because uh, when you do multiple services at a church, which I've done many times, um, it creates uh, new ministry opportunities, like you could serve at one service, come to the other service, or you know, come to one service and then serve at the next service and stuff like that. Has there been just a, I would say, a small team of heroes who have been carrying this tabernacle on their shoulders the last two years, right? People who are doing double and triple duty, you know, and and you know, some some of them some of them are visible. A lot of them right now are in the back with the keiki or downstairs with the middle school, right? Because we have not had the volunteer base, right? Because everything has been so uncertain and most people have just kind of hunkered down and, and kind of made a decision on whether to show up on Sunday or not because the world has been very uncertain. You can't blame anybody for that, right? But there's just been a small group of people who have just been like, well, we're just going to make this happen. Uh, and so... You know, think about that and pray about it with the Lord. And this is an opportunity to let the Spirit guide you, right, rather than, um, you know, me. He's better um, about, yeah, you know, what service do I want to commit to? Because it would be good to commit to one. And uh, how might I um, help that small uh, survival commando team that's been carrying the church or carrying the keiki ministry? Um, the middle school ministry or whatever in particular. All right, I just want to put that out there in the atmosphere, and if you have any questions about involvement or anything, just come talk to me personally, because right now the gathering is not so large that you, that you can't do that. Yes? Everybody clap once. Everybody uh, say good morning to the person next to you. No, all the walls are broken. That's our icebreaker. We've done it. Everybody feels comfortable. We probably need kind of a uh, kind of a warm-up question first. I want to I want to reiterate like a prophetic word the Lord gave me uh, at the beginning of 2022. You, you might have heard me say it in service, but this year is a year of simultaneous sowing and harvesting. Uh, the Lord said that to me. It took me a few minutes to puzzle it out. But what He's saying is this is not a year of preparation. This is a year of manifestation. Right? It's not, this is not a year where you make investments for the long term. This is a year where you make investments and they immediately pay off. 
or you reap rewards from the investments that you have made in the past, right? This is the year of realization of stuff that you have hoped for and stuff that you have thought about, and you want to get in on that, right? You want to get in on that. Sometimes if everything is for the long term, well, life is kind of dull, let's face it. And um, not many of us are dull people in spite of Nick's drab wardrobe. Um, he's exciting. He sat in the front row. Seriously, how long have we known each other? In that spirit, when, when you sat down today, you influenced the persons next to you. Look around at their smiling faces behind those colorful masks, most of you. You influenced that person. True? False? Very true. Very true. Very true. We're getting confessional now. I love it. Yeah. Uh, how did you influence that person? Right? When you sat down next to the, the people that are around you, how did you influence? Because you influenced them. I'm, I, I promise you that you did. How did you do it? Did you um, generate in them a powerful, positive expectation of fruitful things in store this morning? Yeah. Or did you signal tolerance? <laughs> Which one? I'm, I'm, I'm going to give... You're the, you're the former. Carl's on it. I'm going to give you eight seconds to figure it out. How many of you have just realized there's somebody next to you? It's astonishing. Yeah, I'll give you eight seconds to think it out because you influence that person in, in some fashion. Uh, is it your job to worry about how you influence the people around you? You know, you come to a place like, oh, church. Is it your job to, to think about influencing the people to your left, right, front, and back? Yes? No? I'm in the undecided column. Is that what you're saying? It's, like, it's both. It's a both and. Yeah. To influence and be influenced, right? Depends where you are, perhaps. Um, you ever gone to a rock concert? Anyone? Yeah. Uh, the important thing about a rock concert is not the music, right? The important thing about a rock concert is is the experience, because the music's better on your stereo. Um, but it's, it's the environment, is it not? Right? It's the spirit of the place, is it not? Um, and you think, oh, what's the spirit of a rock concert? Well, it's a spirit of great unity. Everybody goes and they know what the score is. Right? They know what they're supposed to do. They know what the night's about. Right? It's, it's party, it's freedom, it's excitement. It's something like that sometimes. Occasionally, it's protest. You know, it can be anything, but everybody is on board with it. And I think they end up being very powerful, changeful experiences, which is why, you know, bands have followings and, and things like that. Well, church is sure to be like that, sort of be like that. Not that I'm a rock star, but um, Quack is. <laughs> He's the guy doing the accounting in the corner. Um, you know, the Lord is, you know, the this, this Spirit is. And think about how people respond to performers on stage and stuff like that. It's sort of a willful participation in a Spirit, right? And that's kind of a worldly example of what I think 
spiritual gatherings should be, you know, Christian gatherings should be. There should be a culture of excitement. It doesn't need to get expressed in any particular way, you know, but it needs to get expressed for the sake of the people around you and for your own sake. Like if you bless somebody else's positive expectation, their faith, do you think it blesses you when you do it? Do you think it helps you? Yeah. When I'm in a, a dark mood, one of the things I do is that I find somebody to encourage, you know, because I'm good at that. I'm lousy at encouraging myself, but I'm pretty good at encouraging other people. Um, you know, I have a knack for that in my strange way, but I do have a knack for it, uh, and then I feel better. Um, anyway, you get the point? Are you warmed up? That was your warm-up stuff. Uh, I want to talk today about the difference between uh, the philosophy that the world is against you and that the universe really wants you to succeed, which is true. Which philosophy did Jesus espouse? Which, what did he preach? You had it before. Both. Right, it's a both and. Right? He, did, so he did say that the spirit of the world is against you, and he talked a lot about that. But I think a huge portion of Jesus' ministry was to get across that, you know, I, I said it the way the world might say it, the universe wants you to succeed. But it's more like God designed the universe so that you might succeed, right? You might become more uh, than, uh, than you would think. Um, we, need, we need both, right? You need to understand in some ways that the spirit of the world is against you, but you also need to understand that, that this whole creation is designed uh, for your fruitfulness, um, for your growth, and for your overcoming, Jesus said, you know, in this world, you know, trials and tribulations, but don't worry about it. You know, I've overcome the world. There are good things in store for you today. There are good things in store for you this morning. There are good things in store for you this year. Before you get out of that chair, you will experience some goodness of the kingdom of God. Some of you will experience some healing. You'll experience some illumination. You came in with a heavy heart. You will not leave with a heavy heart, right? And that is faith. And with faith, you can move mountains. How many of you came in dragging a mountain? And we are responsible to one another to generate an atmosphere of faith, an environment of faith, because none of us are perfect. Again, look at the people next to you, right? None of us are perfect. And so, you know, we need each other for this. It's just a serious responsibility of the house of faith, to minister faith, the attitude of faith, which is contagious if you give yourself to it. Very much of what Jesus taught and did was designed to generate an environment, an atmosphere of super positive expectation. Because, as Kwok read before, Jesus loves you. You know, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when you're poor or poor in spirit, depressed. Blessed are you when you're mournful. Blessed are you when you're persecuted, when things are going against you. Jesus has a better vision. All right. Faith is environmental. The faith to do miracles in the room today is my faith plus all of your faiths added together. Faith is environmental. For good or for ill, that's how it works. 
and we must cultivate an environment of faith if we're going to pull off what we need to pull off on the earth, and it's going to be fun and fantastic. It's going to be joyful and awesome. It's not going to be a drag. Yes? All right. So far, you're agreeing with me. Let's see how far I can take that. Uh, That faith is environmental is seen all throughout the gospel. Those of you who have done Bible studies of the sort that we were talking about earlier in, in announcements, you know, in Mark 5, where Jesus is about to resurrect the dead little girl, he goes in there and the funeral mourners mock him because he says, oh, she's just sleeping. And they're like, you're an idiot, Jesus. And so he kicked him out of the room. He turns to the child's parents and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. What he tried to do is amp up his faith environment because even Jesus needed a good faith environment to do the stuff that Jesus came to do. When Jesus went to his hometown, it says he could do no miracles there and he was astonished at their lack of faith. They insisted on seeing him as the snotty-nosed kid they knew uh, when he was growing up and they were offended uh, that he would transcend his former station Right? They had just cynicism toward him. And even Jesus himself could do no big miracles in his hometown. It says that ultimately he did manage to heal a few people, probably on the outskirts of town. Right? It's, God has designed the universe in such a way that it's the environment of faith that releases great works of the kingdom. And if you need a great work of the kingdom or would like to see great works of the kingdom, like like healings or like miracles or like provision or like the Lord speaking or or like changed lives or people coming into contact uh, with the present living God. All of that stuff requires an, an atmosphere of faith and that was even true for Jesus. So here's a story today about Jesus sort of encountering what was a, a mixed atmosphere. Um, a mixed atmosphere. We've been doing all of these weird stories of faith, the sermon series on weird stories of faith in the Bible because faith is so crucially important, uh, but also because you know, there's often a few weird twists and turns in life, and we need to get the hang of them. So this is one of my favorite stories uh, in, in, in all the Gospels. Uh, it appears in three of the Gospels. It appears in Mark 2, Matthew 9, Luke 5, virtually verbatim uh, every time. So it was, a, it was a super favorite story of the early church, is what that means. And this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's just kind of had his, his first big ministry tour, and he's kind of become overnight famous, and crowds are starting to follow him and stuff like that, primarily because of the miracles that he's been doing, and because he has this teaching that is strange, right? It's super comforting, it's super accessible to everyone, uh, and so he's, he's sort of started his revolution. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, which is sort of his home region, not really his hometown, but his home region, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. It was like last week. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. A paralytic is someone who's paralyzed, who cannot walk. And so four guys were carrying this one paralytic. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, the house he was in, and after digging through it, 
lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. I love that commitment. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? The faith of the paralytics? The faith of the paralytics' friends. All right, just want to make sure we caught that. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. That's an interesting little interaction. The people around you have faith, so you're forgiven and right with God. Oh, interesting. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there. These were like the religious experts, Pharisees, Sadducees, like that. Thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I mean, the fact that Jesus would declare somebody forgiven just like that is just shocking to the religious folks. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Kind of read read their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Quick survey, which is easier to say? Sins are forgiven, right? Because if you say, stand up, take your mat, and walk, then your success or failure will be obvious in that moment, right? It's more of a, it's more of a risk. So this isn't like a vague religious statement. This is like a kingdom of God statement, right? Bringing order to a disorderly situation. Um, I love it. Uh, But when Jesus says either statement, they're both going to be real, right? Okay. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Get up, take your mat, and walk. Or, excuse me, uh, your sins are forgiven, or to say get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, this guy, that's what that means, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Well, this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. You like that story? That's a cool story, but it bugs me. It encourages me, but it also bugs me. And whenever something bugs you in a story, that's good, right? Because it means you're about to learn something. Um, One comment, interest only me. You ever notice that when Jesus tells crippled people to walk, he always says, get up, pick up your mat, and then walk, and in this case, and go home. There's a lot of extraneous commanding going on there. You know, it's not like, be healed. That would have been cool. But it's like, be healed. Make your bed and go home. Get out of here. (laughs) Odd? Odd? Uh, I have different teachings on that. But I think when Jesus uh, heals people, he also gives them opportunities to obey, oftentimes. Even if it's mundane things. You know, we see this even of the Old Testament prophets. Go wash in the river, you know, and then then you'll be made well. The Lord wants to get you moving in obedience, I think, because that gets faith flowing in you. You know, Uh, it releases the authority of God in you because authority comes from obeying God in this this life. And uh, so if you obey God, God's authority flows through you. Good things happen. I think that's part of the healing anyway. That's one little 
call it a manipulation that Jesus does. He's very clever uh, with the way he interacts with people to provoke faith out of them. Let's review really quickly uh, some key elements of this story. Whose faith triggers Jesus' power response? The friend's faith, right? He says, when he saw their faith, or in other versions, when he saw the, the friend's faith, um, you know, every version of the story makes a point to mention that. So the authors really want to drive home the point that, you know, the paralytic might not have come in with a lot of faith, right? Uh, who knows what he was feeling. One, he was a paralytic, so that might have broken him down in a lot of ways. He was probably a professional beggar. Two, kind of embarrassing, right, because his, his boys dig a hole in some poor person's roof and then lower him down, and he's just lying there, can't do anything about it. That might have been a little vulnerable for him, right, a little exposed for him. Um, so he's, he's having a complicated day. He's probably hopeful, but probably anxious as well, but his friends, right, the guys who, who brought him, literally dug through a stone tile roof to lower him, you know, they had tremendously positive expectation. They must have had an enormously powerful positive expectation to vandalize some guy's house, <laughs> right? Because at the very least, they were going to have a, a busy weekend fixing it, you know, they were like, we are all about this. We will find a way to pull this off. Have you, ever won, have you ever had anyone give you a gift of believing like that? It's like, you're just, you're dead. You're dead on the mat. Can't move, you know? Like, I will run through a brick wall for you. Okay, maybe I will dismantle a brick wall and then, you know, but it's, it's the same sort of spirit, right? And they take you to where you need to be Right? This, to me, is such a lovely picture of a community working together to achieve an atmosphere of faith. And it's why it's so important when you sit down on the blue chairs to think about how you're influencing, carrying people next to you, or occasionally how you need them to carry you. Right? So vital in the early miracle working of Jesus. Right? The opposite is true as well if you have an anti-positive spirit, if you have a negative expectation, then that becomes contagious as it was in Jesus' hometown. And Jesus can do anything there. In this story, nothing was going to stop the miracle. Right? Um, so that's, that's, that's the first thing. Um, God likes to find excuses to do extraordinary things. And if you can't give him the faith, you might be blessed enough to have people around you to get it into the atmosphere so that the kingdom uh, can move. But Jesus does address the paralytic uh, then after he sees, oh, wow, you know, these guys are, are putting a lot of faith into the environment. That is fantastic. And so the first thing he says to the paralytic is, be healed, right? Kind of. <laughs> what he says is, you're forgiven, you know? In another version, it says, son, your sins are forgiven. Or Luke says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Right? Why? Why do you suppose that's where Jesus took it? Inner healing. Inner healing. He, he wasn't satisfied enough with healing the guy's body. He wanted to make sure that he healed the guy's soul as well. Okay. 
Fair guess. Fair guess. I like that. Um, some people say, well, he needed to be forgiven. He was a sinner. True. So do you. Removal of, removal of obstacles. Yeah, I, I, this is kind of a story of removing obstacles in a way, isn't it? And, and I think maybe it might be illustrative of something like that. I mean, he's removing an obstacle to the paralytic's faith, right? At the very least, the paralytic might have been worried about wrecking somebody's house. But, you know, in those days, to be sick was to be judged by God, theologically speaking. You know, he probably just felt general shame. And so the first things out of first thing out of Jesus' mouth is, you're forgiven. I love it he doesn't even ask for forgiveness. Sometimes I wig people out. I say, do you need to repent to be forgiven before God? And this story says, no. No, you don't. You might have to repent to accept God's forgiveness, right? right? Cause the, but that's your end, right? Getting forgiven for sin in the kingdom of God, simple. Accepting that forgiveness, well, that depends on you. Right? That's often where the challenge is. But Jesus, man, he just forgave at the drop of a hat, you know, or drop of a roof, as the case may be. And um, I love that about him. Mercy is actually a real thing. Grace is actually a real thing. Right? And what Jesus here is, is he's demonstrating grace. Grace plus faith. Good explosion. It takes both frequently. Otherwise, a lack of grace will take you out. We've been in such an incredibly judgmental season in the world, right? So many people have judged so many people for so many things. Um, it happens in the church as well. And Jesus is like, not in my house. <laughs> You're forgiven. There, that's done. Uh, and, uh, you know, deal with the faith. Uh, I, I love that. Um, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, whatever they are, the experts in the law, the teachers of the law that were there, the religious lawyers, if you will, uh, they got offended, not just because Jesus forgave the guy, I think, but because he did it so easily. There was no ceremony. There was no sacrifice. There, were nothing, there was nothing like that. Um, and, um, and Jesus could sort of sense that. They didn't speak it out loud, but he could sense it anyway. And he decided that he needed to fix it. Why? Why couldn't he let them just sort of carry away their poor theology? I think because he was working to kind of make people value the atmosphere of faith, what a house of faith is really, is really like. You know, he was, he was trying to get everyone involved. I think he did it out of mercy to them, in other words. He wanted to include them in, in, the, in the fun um, and he, they were manifesting a they were manifesting negative expectations of God. No, God never makes it that easy. Really? Uh, they were manifesting a disqualifying spirit. No, 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 that guy is not worthy yet. Uh, they were manifesting a very disempowering spirit. You can't do that. Uh, they were uh, they were 
offense-taking. The spirit of offense is directly counter to faith. I've talked about that uh, before. They were judgmental, which is a huge Jesus teaching. You're not allowed to be judgmental. But mostly they were faith-killing. Right? All of those things kill faith in the moment. And God's like, you know, don't sweat the details. Look, it's all forgiven. <laughs> Let's get on with the kingdom. And we'll work out the details on the back end. Right? When that guy walked home on two healthy legs, do you think he was willing to give up his sin? That was probably the best sermon you ever heard on why he should walk with God, literally, right? So, you know, first things first in this case. Um, even if you are here today and you are a broken down sinner, uh, the rest of us need to generate for you an atmosphere of electric possibility in God. Especially if you are a broken sinner here today, Right? The rest of us need to carry you to a place of positive expectation and grace. That's our job. That's on us. Um, that's what church is for. Jesus can erase sin just like that. Son, your sins are forgiven. He can do that. But when he went to his hometown and they lacked faith, he couldn't overcome that. Jesus can overcome your sin you might not be able to overcome your lack of faith. You see? You see the relative importance? And that's grace. In the kingdom of God, sin is not the problem. Is sin bad? Right? Do you do bad things to people sometimes? Right? Do you need to explain what's bad? You got it. Okay? The problem is, you lack faith. I may not even know you, but this is the problem of your life. This is, excuse me, the biggest problem of your life, your lack of faith. Your lack of faith, your lack of powerful, positive expectation in the God of the universe. That's your problem. Everything else follows under as a subheading. <laughs> but that's your problem. And I think that's kind of the message of Jesus. Jesus can do a lot of good stuff where there's faith. Right. You get it? Right? There's like some crazy good theology in there, but um, I just like the you know sin, sin is a bad deal. Right? It's not a good thing. But it's not as powerful as you think it is. Right? Because we have a solution: forgiveness. Right? Eventually, you have to straighten up your act. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll just keep repeating the trouble, right? And so we don't want you to harm yourself or anyone else. Um, but what you need really to pull that off is faith, right? This generous expectation of God. Have I talked about that enough? I feel like I'm droning on and on like I do sometimes. Say, yes. Say, stop droning. All right. Okay, one more thing. You know, in Mark 9, where Jesus is trying to heal the little boy who's ha who suffers from 
this demonic possession and neurological disorders, like a really, really bad form of epilepsy, throws him into the fire and stuff like that. And the disciples fail to pull off that healing. Jesus shows up and uh, sees them failing, sees his ministry team failing at doing the miracle. Uh, and the crowd is arguing, they're being cantankerous. And what he says is, oh, unbelieving people. Right? What grieves his heart is the bad faith environment. Right? He doesn't say, repent of your sin, everyone. Right? He says, believe. Go through the gospel and count up the number of times Jesus says, don't be afraid or believe, versus the number of times Jesus calls out people's individual sin. I know the ratio, but Andy gives you homework in his Bible study, so I'm giving you homework in the sermon. All right. Faith, faith is... Faith is, a, faith is the important thing. And the rest of it we can, we can handle relatively easily. I want to have an atmosphere of faith wherever I go. I, I want to be a guy that just stinks of faith. You know, there's that nice verse, that Pauline verse about the aroma of Christ. Uh, I, I want to be the stink of faith. Um, I, I want to be, be filthy with it. I want, I want you to be able to smell it through your masks. Um, because great expectation plus great grace equals great faith. Um, and, and I want to ask your help to expect really great things. And I want to ask your help to have a lot of grace for everyone around you. And I feel that if we can pull that off, then you're going you're gonna to help me. You're going to carry me when I'm paralyzed. I'm going to carry you when you're paralyzed. We're going to bring down the roof. Right? Um, I, th I think we can do that if we kind of commit to responsibility. I think you know, there's some serious uh, renewal, revival-y things you know, coming uh, all over the world, I think. And, and I've often said that the spirit of revival is a spirit of conviction, right? It's where, like... There, there is a spirit of conviction that the Lord sends where it's like, ah, I need to change my life. I need to get rid of all the nasty stuff. I need to embrace the good stuff. I call it the spirit of conviction. Anybody ever been in the grip of that? Like, uh, I have just, you know, a couple times. It is wild, you know. The Holy Spirit can do that for us. And I think that's sort of the essential spirit of revival when the Lord releases that spirit of conviction in a big way. Um... But I think even the spirit of conviction needs an environment of faith to turn out well. Otherwise, it's just a lot of razzle-dazzle and no staying power. Uh, and I think maybe the Lord is shaking the church and is, is galvanizing, energizing the church right now with faith in order that you know, the waves of conviction that he sends out will bring life instead of just death. Because the thing about conviction is that uh, it's violent, you know. It makes the soft soft and the hard hard, you know. It, it drives people away as well. You will have one reaction or, or the other. Um, so I think it's coming. I think it's part of how 2022 is a year of simultaneously sowing and harvesting. You know, I think our preaching will be outrageously effective if our faith is outrageously effective. Yeah. Father, I pray um, for 
the spirit of revival in your church all around the world, uh, here at Blue Water, for sure. Um, I pray that you would make us the light of the world. We illuminate every room we walk into. I pray that you will make us the salt of the earth, that we bring taste, a flavor, a salty edge to every place we are. I pray, Lord, that uh, our faith, our positive faith, would be the most contagious thing about us. Uh, We repent, Lord, of contagious fear that the world has been so enthusiastically spreading Um, There are fearsome things out there, Lord, um, but we choose to spread faith uh, and incline our hearts in that direction in order that we might have deliverance from the fearsome things. We've just been talking about faith a lot uh, the last five or six weeks. I want to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to talk about No, not to talk, just to give you a vision of you as a person of faith. I don't think he'll use a lot of words. I think he'll he'll probably use some impressions and pictures. I'm just going to give the Spirit an opportunity to do that for you individually right now. Stay in that space with the Spirit. Just sort of open your hearts and minds to Him. Stay in that space. And I just want to remind you that to grow in faith It's not just about believing the right things. It's about exercising the right attitude, right? It's a workout. You all know how to exercise physically. Only a fraction of you do it regularly. (laughs) This is about spiritual exercise, regular spiritual exercise of an attitude of faith. And I mention that because I think the Lord will be sort of given you a vision of regular faith attitude. I want to make sure that the people at home on the stream are watching this later. Do this. Listen. Listen to the spirit where you are. Amen.